Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, asking you again to consider commentary in your end of year, giving Commentary a 501c3 nonprofit that relies upon donors to close our annual deficit. We produce the magazine, the monthly magazine, we produce the website, and we produce this daily podcast. We are fortunate in our subscribers uh, who are uh, generous monthly annual contributors uh, in terms of an exchange of goods and services, and we're grateful to our advertisers, but we need you. We need your help. We need your sponsorship and your eleemosynary generosity to keep us going. This is our 76th year, and we want to continue to go from strength to strength and continue to produce this podcast for you to listen to every day. So please go to www.commentary.org slash donate. That's www.commentary.org slash donate. With me as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Few interesting nuggets in a Marist poll that came out yesterday. Granted, it's one poll. It's one poll, but it shows trends that we have to note because they follow the trends of other polls, almost every other poll. Two genuinely eye-opening numbers. One, an approval rating of 41%, which means that Biden is now approaching Trump's low. Um, uh, and he's approaching Trump's low absent any event like Charlottesville that, you know, sort of, ended up becoming a kind of national emotional scandal um, uh, and and doing so later in his presidency, by the way, than Trump and Charlottesville, closer to the, to the midterm elections and much more um, focused on him and his performance rather than outrage at him and his personal behavior or conduct. And the really, 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 really chilling number for Biden I don't know, Abe, if you have this to hand, uh, is the number uh, in terms of approval among Latinos, which uh, Abe's uh, going to check for, but as I remember off the top of my head, was 33% approve, 62% disapprove. Something like that could be in the high 50s of disapproval, but that he has a 33% approval rating among Latinos. Now, we've seen this trend line. We it's th- 3365. 3365. We've seen the trend line. We know that the border counties in Texas flipped and uh, from, you know, 30% for Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, to 30% favorable to Trump between 2016 and 2020. We know about South Florida and the stampede toward Trump uh, during uh, during his presidency. Uh, this is a nationwide poll. I don't know what the sample of Hispanics is. It's probably very small. It's probably 100, 150 people. Nonetheless, detail after detail after detail suggests that this very central, very important Democratic group uh, doesn't like the Democratic president and is looking elsewhere for options. Please expound upon this, my friend. One of the things that came across our transom this morning is that the Biden White House is preparing to give a a pep talk, a political pep talk, not, you know, COVID related to COVID or national security or inflationary pressure, all the stuff that, you know, actually really is dragging his administration down. But to 
Democrats, mostly the progressives to whom they've been, to whom they've been catering for the majority of this presidency to you know sort of lift them up and tell them you know what we've done, what we've achieved and moving into the next year, reason for optimism and hope and all that nonsense. And for talking to Democrats and progressives, they're giving away the game about who's driving these numbers. Republican partisan Republicans haven't have been sour on this administration since it was inaugurated and independents have been abandoning this administration in droves and most notably over the course of the summer following the collapse of Kabul and the implosion of Afghanistan. So really the bleeding is now coming from the president's party and they have no one else but themselves to blame. Josh Krashauer actually has a really fantastic piece on this at National Journal about the ways in which the Biden administration raised expectations among their own and uh, failed to meet those expectations. You know, this administration came into the very conspicuously came into the into the White House under promising with the intention of over deliver delivering, setting goals for themselves that were perfectly meetable to the point at which you were wondering why they had their sights set so low. Um, but they've failed at their own game in legislative terms to say nothing of the half dozen issues I mentioned earlier that are actually of relevance to most of the electorate. I'll be curious to uh, see what the what tone Biden takes this afternoon at two thirty. He's giving a talk about covid. Um, uh, the the preview says he's going to boast about making lots of free testing available, but that they're also going to take a tough tone about the unvaccinated, which is, of course, not which is what they've been doing all along. And, and we talked a little bit yesterday about a recent message where they're like, they're going to overload our hospitals. They're terrible. They're all going to die. I mean, the, the sort of scolding tone that had, has been used with the American people means they've given up on persuasion. Um, and perhaps that's that's politically useful because these people aren't going to be persuaded to get the shot. However, the idea that the rest of the country fears having to shut itself down because of spread is a concern that he needs to address. And he has, as yet, been unable to find the right tone when talking about COVID. His he's, he's let his public health administration folks and his political appointees and all, he's let everyone else talk about this, but he has an opportunity today to calm people down right before, a, you know, most people are taking a holiday break. Kids are going to be out of school. There's a lot of fear in the air right now, particularly in blue cities. There's a lot of panic. There's a lot of concern. The fact that the New York Times yesterday published a, an opinion piece that that very firmly said we should not shut down the schools again. Uh, these are all signals to Biden about where even his own constituents are, are uh, with regard to COVID or some of them, at least. And I just don't trust that he's necessarily going to take the right tone here. He needs to, but but we'll see if he does. It's, it's a real for me as, a, as an American watching his speech this afternoon, I'll be I'll be tuned in very closely to see what he said. Not shutting down the schools again is not sufficient. We should no. be right. shutting down anything. To, yes, he again. needs to say we have to Nothing live with at this. all whatsoever. The pressure is on from the public health apparatus here and especially in Europe, where apparently the papers are marveling over the the real lack of responsibility on the part of this administration for failing to impose restrictions and, sh and lockdowns, even though I'm not sure they understand our constitutional structure that they can't actually do that, but at least hectoring in the direction of, you know, shut everything down again. That seems to be where the elite consensus is. And I have no faith that this administration can buck that elite consensus. They're, they understand that the political consequences for shutting down schools are too much to absorb. They got that message in November, but they don't really understand that everything else, too, shouldn't be shutting down over what is objectively, based on every point of data that we have available to us, something that doesn't merit such an extraordinary remedy.
I, I just want to jump back to the Latino question for one second. Um, so months back, the border crisis was uh, the focus of a lot of people's attention and was front page news. And, and um, it was getting worse and worse. And, and no one was, was sort of allowed to even look at it. And and the administration, Biden specifically, sort of told the press to back off. And they did. But if you live in one of those communities that cares most about it, it's still foremost on your mind. Um, and the fact that it's still going on <clears throat> means that it is a, a simmering issue that is going to come back uh, and, and burn, burn Biden again, whether or not, in, unless it dissipates of its own, uh, burn Biden, whether or not he tells the press to, to momentarily back off. And, and I think that's a big part of what's going on with the Latino issue. Uh, two, two things, one about the Latino issue and one about the testing that Christine talked about, the home testing. First off, about the Latino issue, uh, there is a horrible disconnect. This is the ultimate Washington-American disconnect. Professional Latinos, the professional Latino class is fundamentally philosophically opposed to border control. And when you are a politician and you want to deal with Latinos, broadly speaking, you go to their fraternal organizations and the organizations that claim to speak for Latinos. It is increasingly clear that those organizations not only aren't speaking for Latinos, but they are speaking against the political and social direction in which American Latinos, if there even is such a thing as the American Latino, but the, in which they live and the world that they want to live in. Uh, what we seem to be experiencing based on sort of what Abe said about what's going on in the border counties in South Florida and all of this is that um, Latinos are embarrassed by the connection that seems to have been established between them and people who are overrunning the border. They are people who are here legally. Their parents came legally. They, if they are first generation, they went through an entirely very difficult process to become Americans and to do so legally. And they do not believe that the they do not believe that the rules should be changed for for others who are not following the rules. That is a a classic human response right that's and this notion that somehow because somebody's name ends in a vowel or in a z that you should therefore that therefore the rules are suspended because you are you know you are brothers is is simply a misunderstanding of human nature and the politicians in washington have fallen prey to the terrible mistake of believing that people who make their living as activists speak for the people on whose part they claim to be functioning as activists. It is not true. It hasn't been true for 50 years. There was a time when the sort of Chicano, Latino, whatever you want to call it, Hispanic political movement arose in the United States, really around farm workers and domestic farm workers, that there's no question that uh, the conditions under which farm workers were working in California were horrifically bad and that they were being exploited. And when Cesar Chavez rose to power as the mo most important, you know, uh, Spanish speaking, Spanish native speaking origin, a political player in the United States, that he was responding to something real and something 
that uh, was a shame to the, you know, to the to the country once it's all was going on. That is not the story here. What the story here is all about getting Latinos, whatever, getting a get a getting a piece of the of the preference pie, the affirmative action pie, the quotas pie, the 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 rules that say that you are an oppressed person and you should therefore um, you should therefore be considered in a special class and a special category. And we have absolutely no reason to believe that most people of Spanish speaking origin believe that, want that, or aren't or, or don't find it offensive that that is what it is that is expected of them. And that's where this disconnect is happening and it's happening for real. And it could be the earth shattering political realignment of this decade if it goes on. I mean, this is a huge matter. There are more people of Latino descent in the United States than there are African-Americans. This is the largest minority group in the United States. And if it if it flips from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, the consequences will be oceanic. Well, the alternative to that is that, you know, coalitions are they're water balloons, as Sean Trende likes to say. And where one goes, the and there's an equal and opposite reaction. And Democrats are have been making profound inroads among, among what was the Republican Party's bread and butter demographic, suburban, highly educated uh, white people. And we're, we're on a downswing now in response to uh, pretty objective conditions and a difficult to argue against case that this administration is hopelessly incompetent. But that doesn't mean that trend is not going to continue in the absence of a Biden administration. I expect it will that the Democratic Party will become the party of educated, right. uh, affluent people who well, make up a pretty poll... sizable demographic in places that you need to win a congressional majority. It's not just that they're a giant demographic, they're not. It's that they're very well positioned in districts that are um, apportioned to make or break congressional majorities. Right. Well, and, and that is the one bright spot in this entire Marist poll that we were talking about, which I believe says that suburban women, and again, it's a poll of 1,400 people, when you slice it and dice it like this, you're talking about a margin, a very, very high margin of error, which means that you can only really look at this when you have landslide numbers in one direction or the other. It's doubtful that it's an outlier, but it could be, the margins could be closer. But um, I think it's 5940 approve of Biden, suburban women, right? Abe, do you see it there? It's 5741. 5741 suburban women approve of Biden. It is like the only category in this poll, which oddly, by the way, at least in the reporting that I've seen, doesn't excludes African-Americans, or maybe they didn't get a high enough demographic count of people who, 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 who responded to the poll to break out African-Americans. But um, they have non-white 4452. Yeah, non-white 4452 being therefore being driven by the Latino number, obviously, of 3365. The one bright spot is suburbanites and particularly suburban women. And you're right, that is a very that is a very key number. And uh, I would say that uh, if to the extent that the Republican Party appears to be remains the party of Trump, and it was Trump that made the Republican Party toxic to those women, those numbers aren't going to move very much. But I think because they were so recently uh, a Republican, you know, stronghold, uh, you have to assume that that Democratic a, a realignment is, you know, is not temporary, but is fragile and can be 
they can be moved back in the other direction. A couple of years of inflation, a couple of years of crime. Yeah, crime and, and education. And education, right. Yeah. 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 That's what happened in Virginia, right. though, that that the election yeah. in Virginia did see that swing happen uh, away from Democrats. Um, and they should be concerned about that happening in other places. Right. And now I want to talk a little bit about Biden today and the home testing. So apparently it's most of this speech on on the variant uh, and, and the response to it is going to rest on this really shameful fact that it is very difficult to get home tests in the United States. And I can attest to that. Personally, I have a child who has contracted COVID, uh, so we immediately wanted to go get home tests to, you know, make sure that the rest of us aren't, you know, uh, where we are. Um, and so uh, they're all gone in the United States. I mean, I managed to order 20 tests at a price tag, I don't even want to tell you. I don't know when they're going to get a, when they're going to arrive. And um, due to the um, incredibly generous uh, intervention of my friend Jeff, I got three of them so that uh, so that we had one, and I got three so that the rest of us could test to make sure that we were negative uh, this afternoon uh, or yesterday afternoon. I don't know what I'm going to do going forward. I ordered these tests. And um, Biden's been president for 11 months. The testing crisis has been prevalent since March of 2020. Michael Mina of Harvard University has been talking incessantly about how important it would be to get a simple antigen test that you could sort of, lit, you know, like a litmus test, you could lick on a piece of paper that would be the determinant of whether or not kids went into school or not that morning. Home test every morning, make it free, send it to people's homes. If it comes up, you know, if it, if it comes up with two lines or, you know, the, the test is blue or something like that, the kid stays home. If the, if the test isn't blue, the kid goes to school. It's that simple. We have the technology. You, in Europe, these tests are readily available. The FDA and the CDC and the public health bureaucracy for reasons that investigative journalists should even right now be, be trying to find out what on earth happened here. We are now, you know, into a very weird moment in the pandemic in which we have a wildly contagious variant that doesn't seem to be very strong. And the obvious way to handle it would be to have home testing because honestly, I, I'm sorry, the honest, the, the way to handle this would be to say, go screw because your environment won't cooperate with you no matter how much testing you get. The NHL is closing its season down. Restaurants are shutting their doors. Schools and colleges are going remote in response to a virus that is not deadly. If you are vaccinated, you are safe. And most of these institutions not only have vaccine requirements for people who attend, but vaccine requirements for people who, who staff and man them. It's not about testing. Testing won't get you out of this. Okay, I don't. Nothing okay, will I get you out of this. Okay, okay. <laughs> Unless okay. you direct your attention to the people who are preventing you from resuming normalcy, the individuals and institutions who are doing this to you. Okay, wait, wait. So again, speaking from a household in which there is COVID, I think the general impulse would be um, those of us who don't have it can go about our daily lives, you know, go to the movies, go to the supermarket, do some stuff. I'm saying we haven't adjusted our priors. Let me finish. Of course, we haven't readjusted our priors. One of the ways that you can handle 
that situation would be to make it as easy as possible for people to test at home so that if you seem if if you appear to be contagious with a contagious variant we don't yet have the sort of hard and fast and absolute determinative proof that it is not you know going to turn deadly yet it looks that way you make it you give people the option you make it easy for them to figure out whether they have it at any given moment before they have to step outside they don't have it they can step outside that's what a home test would do we had the technology in hand in march of 2020 here's my point biden has been president for 11 months he came into office everybody knew there was a testing problem everybody i know who works in hospitals as you know on the front lines and all this has been screaming about the testing crisis everybody i know with money flew to europe and bought hundreds of tests and brought them back because you could because they cost two dollars you know what they cost here 20 25 dollars a test two dollars there why it's not because it's not because um, you know, there's some kind of, you know, evil cartelizing going on here. It's that there are restrictions on the number of tests that can be produced in the United States. So Biden will today announce 500 million tests. It shouldn't be 500 million. It should be 3 billion. There are 330 million people in this country. And the logic of the home testing is that you should test every day, not that you should test every now and then. That's the logic of it. It's the, it's, it's the mid, it's the mid path it is the mid path between lockdown and quarantine and going about your daily life until they announce, until they become comfortable saying that Omicron isn't going to overrun the healthcare system, which they are not comfortable saying. And people that I trust who are not COVID hysterics and are not, you know, part of this, you know, evil cabal of everything should shut down. People are concerned about it. It could it could be but the hospitals it, aren't. They're not. We're yes, literally ignoring are. hospital administrators who are telling everybody willing to talk to them, which is a lot of a lot of news outlets who have these people on. Talk to them, quote them in print, quote them on on television, saying we we have the capacity to take care of this. We are not overwhelmed. We're not this, seeing an overwhelming surge here. What are we doing? This is the, to, to Noah's point. Here, here's my concern going forward. We might be in this in this kind of transition phase right now where we do need more tests. And I agree with John that it is a huge failure on the part of the Biden administration that they have not been on top of testing and not been on top of approving a lot of the therapeutics that are in the pipeline right now, sitting there waiting for approval. However, my concern. So my my very terrible mayor of D.C. announced yesterday, in addition to new, you know, bringing back the mask mandate uh, for indoors that she's going to give kids a couple day extra days of vacation because she's going to get them. She's ordered, she's ordered a million tests and they're going to be distributed and everyone's going to test. It's going to be fine. We won't have to shut down the schools. Here's what's going to happen in reality. They're not going to get enough tests. They, they also aren't requiring you to test to return. They're just encouraging you. And it's going to be this weird limbo where, as Noah says, the institutions are still really entrenched in this idea that there can't be any cases of COVID anywhere. Um, and we still have enough unvaccinated people because there's no mandate for vaccination to for, for school children in this in, in D.C. And as a result, we're going to be right back where we are right now, which is people freaking out. The parent there are tons of irrational parents in this city. Many of them are not vaccinated. They haven't vaccinated their kids and they want to shut down the school whenever a single child turns up with COVID. That regime, I think Noah is right. That has to be just cut off at the knees now because the risk is actually low for most people, especially the vaccine. Abe, what? Abe, Abe, I'm with Noah on this. Um, while I think that uh, making a huge number of home tests would have been a great thing 10 months ago, something like that. 
Uh, Omicron is now the dominant strain in the U.S. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's accounts for 73 percent of the cases, something like that. Yeah, that's going to climb. If it's not not deadly, I don't know why it's not not deadly. Uh, it's been more than three weeks since the two week period of time that, that we were told we would uh, find out such information. So if the, if the dominant strain of, of the virus in the country, which is soon going to be synonymous with the virus in the country, is essentially, experientially, a cold, why should there now, now, I'm not talking about before, but why should there now be these kinds of resources devoted to home tests? For? Well, I'll tell you why. And a lot of people on the left have begun to figure this out. New York Magazine, Slate, weird places that don't usually have their finger on the pulse, but do now. Because this, like all of COVID, has become a stand-in for class. Throughout this pandemic, a lot of the people who talked about this disease didn't know a single person who ever had it. Now they do, because everybody is getting it, including the people who got their vaccinations, including people who got boosts. It's just plowing through whatever barrier there was before to infection. So now all of a sudden, this is a pandemic of, a upper, of an upper class, of a white collar group who, who, who sets the agenda and establishes the narrative. And they're freaking out because this is all new to them. Can I just bolster that point? Uh, when you look at when the, this kind of rise was happening from Delta in, say, Florida in the South, the response was not, oh, my God, the sky is falling. We're all going to get COVID and die. It was, look at those stupid, evil Floridians. Yeah. Well, I, they're going to get what they deserve. So so you are very right about that, Noah. OK, listen, I, I don't we, we are all in agreement philosophically. The question is practically where we go on December 21st as the president is about to speak. And it is not irrational to say, okay, the way to calm people down who are getting hysterical and freaking out, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't, Biden doesn't have the bandwidth to, you know, switch gears and say, we all have to live with COVID now. Here's what we're going to do. Obviously, he can't do that. It's not part of his writ. What he can do is say, I'm going to make it as easy as possible for people with home testing. Here's how it works you get home tests. If you get it, you stay home. If you don't, you know, that's right. Okay. But A, it's not enough home tests. Okay. So at 500 million tests, that's not enough. B, we could have done what we should. We, this should have been the case 10 months ago. So he's for him to claim credit for seizing on a great new policy that is a good middle ground here between lockdown and, you know, and letting people go on and live their lives is a fraud and he might be able to get away with it because the press is so pliant on these matters, but I kind of doubt it. And you know that he's uncommonly unconvincing in these speeches, right? I mean, he is uncommonly unconvincing and he's not calming and he's not reassuring. And here's my other favorite detail, according to what I read in Byron York this morning, he is going to call out the military to help because this is the, uh, this is the, you know, equivalent of war, right? We have to go to war against the virus. So he will be engaging a thousand U.S. troops to do something or other. There are 3,309 counties in the United States. Okay? A thousand troops? What are, what are these thousand troops going to do exactly? Are they going to perform a USO show? What, what are they... What is a thousand troops like is I mean, there's something absolutely 
bizarrely comic about this idea that in order to show resolve and seriousness, he's engaging the U.S. military in a health and rescue operation in which to which he is committing no one. But see, that's why I think it's mixed messaging. And I disagree that this is some like I think you're 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 seeing this as a ra- as the rational person you are as a middle ground. Like this is how we get out of it. We offer the the create the scared people some tests, but otherwise we just move along and this will be temporary. But this will just become the new masking, right? It'll become a new virtue signaling sort of thing where it's like, did you test this morning? Why are you out and about in public and you didn't do your rapid test this morning? I mean, I, I just I worry that that he actually does need to make a bold statement today because because people have had it. More people, including some who used to be on board with a lot of these restrictions and a lot of the fear mongering have had it. I mean, I, you, you guys know, I have these, you know, parent friends and we're talking about all this with the schools the last few days, even the most liberal on my, on my groups. And there's some really liberal people. We, I've got like Bernie voters in this group and they were like, this is insane. This is absolutely insane. Christine, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right though. Within what become, what, what starts as a social norm among affluent upper middle-class and, and, you know, white liberals in cities immediately becomes a mandate like two or three months later. So now to go to, to go engage in commerce in your local city, you will have to present your vaccination card, your boost and your test from two hours ago, because it's probably not gonna be valid according to Liana Wen if you haven't tested every four hours in the day. This is insane and it's for a cold. Okay. It's for I'm a very not, bad cold. Okay, I am it's not madness. suggesting by the way that the home testing is to be presented to human beings as a- It will be. Listen. It can't really, actually, it can't because you don't have any, if you're going to do that. Well, sure, no, no you need it to fly. You have a QR code on in your negative PCR. Yeah, that, I know, but that's, that's somebody that's a third party administers that the home test you administer yourself. That's the ultimate honor system. That's why it's more reasonable than you guys are letting it or, 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 or expressing it. It is. Do you have it? Do you not have it? If you have it, what do you do when you okay? Let me ask you this, Noah. Let's let let's game this out. I'm just I'm sorry. Yeah, let's please, game this but, out. Yeah, sure. Let, just the honor the mention of the honor system brought me right back to the days when they said, Oh, we couldn't rely on the honor system, which is why we have I, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me. I'm thinking literally about me and the Christmas vacation and what it is that it is rational or irrational for me to do with my family over the next 12 days. Okay. So the honor system is. I don't really want to go around getting people infected if I have it, even if it's a cold. Or let's say it's a cold and I have it. Do I wear an M90? Do I wear an N95 mask? Because then I can go around. I won't give it to anybody because I'll be in an N95 mask. That's why people have those masks. They don't have them because they don't have COVID. They have them in case they have COVID. So presumably it presents and interrupts COVID. That's why you wear a mask, an N95 mask is to keep you from shedding virus if you have unknowingly have the virus because you're in a period between the time you tested and the time you, well, blah, blah, blah. That's what masking was originally for, was to keep you from shedding virus if you un, if you didn't know if you had the virus, okay? So let's say I know that I have the virus. I don't, but let's say I know that I have the virus. But it's Omicron. Do I go out wearing an M95 mask or do I have to quarantine at home? Let's say I don't have it, but you know it's been 12 hours since I've tested. Somebody in my household has it. Do I wear a mask or do I not wear a mask? If I'm not going to wear a mask, but it's, it's all of these kind of weird choices. I have and an answer. What's that? You do whatever you do with a cold. 
Okay, which but- was do, do we even remember what that was? No. <laughs> yeah, you wash your hands. You wash your hands. You don't touch people, right? That that's the you don't hug people and you don't touch people and you mm. wash your hands. You sneeze okay. into your elbow. That's another okay, one. But but <laughs> but there's a little more social responsibility that goes into this than that because the cold doesn't freak everybody out. And and COVID and Omicron do freak people out. And I'm not a social justice warrior seeking to convince people that they shouldn't be freaked out by me if I have it. I would prefer not to spread it if I could if I could possibly avoid it. That's where the honor system works. Like if I have a home test, I'll test myself. It'll say negative and then I'll feel completely free to well, go these out. These are two very different conditions. You're talking about just being socially responsible and yes. travel. Those are two completely entirely I'm not talking different about categories. Travel. I'm not right, talking well, about travel, travel is about compliance with the institution. I'm talking about like going to a movie this. theater. I'm talking about going to a movie theater, going to a restaurant, you know, going to a gym, however you want to slice it. That's what home testing is for. It's not to present a credential that says that you can go in. And it was always, it was always supposed to be the honor system, which is why they didn't want it for schools. It was a parent was supposed to home test with a kid. If you had these Michael Mina home tests. And if the kid tested positive, it was up to the parent to be responsible and say, you stay home and we'll figure out how to handle that at home. And therefore, everybody else can continue to go to school. That was why they didn't distribute them. That's why they didn't mass produce them, because they wanted a top down one size fits all answer, which is everyone just stay home because we can't be sure that that parent over there isn't going to say, screw it. I have work to do. The kid goes to school, whether or not he has COVID. But this well, is the but point where we are, but fail. that's, yeah. And that's, that's the point we are at the pandemic. Now, this is why this is actually a pivotal moment for Biden, because what, what that used to be a danger to everyone, the irresponsible person, right? It is no longer a danger to anyone except those who choose not to protect themselves. And that's why we have to move on. So you can do, you should use your own judgment and your own good, good sense, and you should act accordingly. And everyone else in this country should do. We are a free society. We are done being, we're just done. We're, we should be done with allowing uh, these, these elite authorities to micromanage our lives because we are right. no longer in a, the phase of the pandemic where that is required. Even people and you like know what Chris would help Hayes. with that? on MSNBC oh, briefly yeah. as, as who has invented this narrative in which he is the hero of this, this world ending story uh, has resigned himself to the idea that this is unstoppable, that every measure is a finger in the dam and that it, they can't break it. Wait, it's just going to wash I'm over sorry. you. Who is this? Chris Hayes. Oh, Chris Hayes. Okay. Here's my point. We're people free people in a free society. I'm not talking about government mandates. I'm talking about the opposite. I'm saying, leave it to me to decide whether in a household with COVID, I go outside or I don't go outside. The best way for me to do that is to have a home test. Then I make a decision, then I make a reasoned decision, which could include, yeah, I do. I am going to go outside. I have stuff I have to do, but I'll wear an N95 mask, which I don't like. I have them. I don't like to wear them. I like to wear, you know, a, a paper mask, you know, one of those blue paper masks. that's much more comfortable for me. I get a little claustrophobic in the N95, but I would wear it because I know at the moment before I go, I'll tell you, I would take a home test and guess what? Eh, I don't have it. So I'm fine. At least for the next couple of that, whatever. And they are not making that possible. That is self-agency. That is being a responsible citizen. That is not government intervention. The government intervention here has been to prevent the widespread distribution of tests. I'm not talking about the government dist distributing the tests necessarily. Government could, could, it, it could be literally like, 
what we did with the vaccines, which is that the government basically pays private companies to send, you know, use the Social Security mailing list to send or whatever, whatever mailing, you know, the IRS mailing list to send everybody in the country, you know, 30 home tests a month. I don't know. I mean, there are ways to do things. They somehow managed to get things to people when they need to. If, and if you have yes. children in schools. First and of all, you, schools are out this week, right? right so right, my right. son, but my the, son's in school for two more days. But right, yeah. sure, it goes back okay. in January. It'll still be around in January. But the protocol is that you know, if you get a positive test, then you you know, as a responsible citizen, you report it to your school, and you quarantine for. Previously, they just changed the guidelines to make it a little narrower, like seven days quarantine. But it was pre, it was two weeks ago. Well, a week ago, it was fourteen days. A fourteen days quarantine for a disease that presents in young children. I had them, so I know what it presents like. And this is the statistical basis for the for this. This is the most statistically likely outcome is that it presents as a cold and a short cold, not even a bad cold. And you're talking now about if you comply with this regime and you're a single parent, you have to lose two weeks of work. That's being a responsible citizen. The disincentives to acting responsibly are profound and our policymakers want to ignore them as though they don't, they're not real, they don't matter. And anybody who come, who balances these risks is somehow negligent and awful, and a bad person. And they're just pretending like this isn't a real problem and it's going to be a very real problem. Uh, so the way you deal with real problems is you come up with a panoply of strategies, right? To mitigate the problem. And the mitigation strategy cannot be, as you say, to destroy the lives of individual people who don't have the financial resources to deal with it um, or to give them time and place to make choices. And you're right. Look, we, we live in a, we live in an atmosphere in which the, the, the explanations for why we do what we do shift constantly. Right. So we are back in the, as you said, and you said with great skepticism, we're back in the, we have to do this in order to preserve the healthcare system from being overrun and collapsing. And so far, there is very little evidence that anything like that will happen. Although in smaller cities where they're, you know, where people are going to the emergency room with Omicron, they're just there for four or five hours. They're checked out, they're tested. You know, it's like, go home, you know, quarantine yourself. There's really not much we can do if you look if you're if you're showing certain types of very worrisome symptoms. We can give you monoclonal antibodies uh, in a couple of weeks. If the goddamn FDA wouldn't be so goddamn FDA, there would be the Pfizer pill already approved. Okay, so we still do have the possibility that this outbreak is going to be so prevalent. This is what Scott Gottlieb, you know, who, as, as we know, we have, I'm so we have very mixed feelings about here on the commentary podcast, but said, it's like, look, if, you know, 10 million people get Omicron in the space of a week, just the simple odds of what happens under those conditions mean that a lot of people are going to be in the hospital at once. And maybe it's, maybe it's because of comorbidities and maybe it's because, but you know, a breakout case of a cold, you could end up with pneumonia and dying in a hospital from the common cold. It's not like that's not possible. It happens. If everybody gets it all at once, yeah, there could be an overrunning of, of emergency rooms. So you want to sort of, on the other hand, based on the logic of what we're seeing here, that may literally be unpreventable. 
if this thing is as is as virulent as people say it is, and I think we all now have this um, anecdotal data from everywhere around us. Everybody I know knows, you know, 10 people who got it in the last week, week and a half. How are you doing? Yeah, it's not so bad. It's fine. I got a call. You know, like I've, I have some symptoms. I don't have any symptoms, whatever. But it's like it, 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 it's, it's way worse in that sense than the original was, right? Because the original was sort of, wasn't that easy to catch. But if you got it, mostly, we don't even know this because we didn't have any testing. So we don't know who got it and didn't have any symptoms from it. But a lot of people were literally knocked, you know, for, for a loop. You know, were like out, they were in hospitals, they were being mistreated because people didn't know how to treat it early on. You know, they nearly died. I mean, I think everybody knows people like that who died or nearly died in the early days of the pandemic, there, there's way more transmissibility here. And so, yeah, it's something really bad could happen if 30 million people get it all at once, because it does apparently evade double vaccination. It may not evade boosters. We can't really tell yet. My kid who has, my kid who has, you know, who has it as double vaxxed, but not boosted. My wife and I are boosted. We don't have it. Uh, our other two kids are double vaxxed and don't have it we'll see what happens but it's um we've been denied any possibilities beyond the most extreme right and in some sense yeah but here let me let, let's go back to the point where we were so that we don't sort of end on horrible disagreement biden's going to give a speech today we are in agreement we might be in agreement that what biden should do and what i think he was going to do before everything went you know, before the transmissibility numbers went 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 crazy, was he was going to give a big COVID speech in which he was going to say, we have to learn how to live with the virus. And now we can't give that speech for reasons, whatever. He can't give that speech. So where are we now? That's the funny part is he's giving a speech that he should cancel because he got nothing good to say. He's only going to make it worse. And this is the thing about him. When he gives these speeches at moments of, you know, Right. He makes things worse. He doesn't make them better. You know, he made Afghanistan worse. He made he made build back. He made the infrastructure bill worse. He makes it worse for himself, not just for everybody else. Part of the job of the president is to give Americans news they might not want to hear about what is happening in their country and what needs to be done. That is the job. That's why people age so rapidly when they serve a, a term or two as president. It's his job to tell us something we might not want to hear. When and was so the far last time that a president told us something that we didn't want to hear. I mean, 9-11, I mean, you're saying it's the job. Well, well you're saying it's the job, but I haven't. Yeah, literally, he did, he, he did a terrible job of it. But right. But, no, but, no, but I, I mean, this this idea that he what thought he we just... wanted to hear it. He didn't say because he thought we didn't want to and hear he it. And he thinks everybody wants to hear that you're going to die from COVID. Yeah, that's my. Yeah, that's the point is that and all they've been doing so far is sort of soft peddling the message, you know, being to Noah's point about class. Now that more people that they know who did all the right things have gotten it. Now they're like, you know, we really shouldn't blame anyone for getting it. We need to be empathetic. And I'm like, screw you. You won't even figure out how it got here from China. Like, stop telling me what I should feel. I, I obviously now include myself among the people who've had it with a lot of this talk. So we'll see. I mean, he's going to have a tough it's a tough speech to give. I think he's going to just stick to talking about how great he is for giving out tests, but that's not good enough. The stuff from China is very, very deep, and we haven't even scratched the surface of this because this mutation, according to some people who seem to know about these sorts of things, 
is even more suggestive of an engineered virus. That it has mutated in the way that it is mutated is not a normal mutation. That it's mutated where it's mutated suggests not a natural progression, but something weird and untoward. Maybe it's fortunate because it's mutated the way it's mutated and it has turned out to weaken it. But nonetheless, this is more um, you know, circumstantial evidence that this was something that happened at the Wuhan lab. And I swear to you, and I swear to everybody, that if people think that the 2024 election isn't going to revolve around a lot of this, let's, let's go back to 2012, 20, 2008, 2012, 2016. I still argue that the 2016 election was about the 2008 financial meltdown. I think that's how Trump, that's why it happened that Trump ended up winning the election. First of all, winning the nomination and then winning the election. There was a massive disruption in the United States and the political class in the United States never reckoned with it except to throw money at it. They didn't say who did it. They didn't say why it happened. They didn't take account of the incredible hardships that this placed on people who were least able to manage it and afford it. People who had taken these, you know, these balloon mortgages and got slammed people's real estate values going down, all of that. And then we had 2012 and the Republicans had a nominee who couldn't talk about it well because he was a hedge fund guy and Obama didn't want to talk about it either. And somehow we had an entire presidential election after the response to, to the financial meltdown that didn't revolve around the financial meltdown. And 2024 is going to be about what happened with China. And either and, and Trump, by the way, is not in a good position to talk about this either his behavior during his presidency in relation to this was weird and he was was fearful of really you know addressing this matter maybe he can pick it up it would be probably better if a fresh candidate who really had some way to talk about this new will talk about it but um if the biden people continue to soft pedal this and continue to act like they can evade the question of who did this and how it happened and why something that came out of nowhere you know, will, you know, in the end have killed a million Americans. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but something big is going to happen. And you know what else is going to happen, you guys? What else is going to happen is that you are going to buy yourself an X chair because it's the gift that keeps on giving you comfort and joy every day, all year long, a gift that looks as good as it feels, a gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you'll be at work. The X chair the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I've ever used and the coolest looking piece of furniture I own. Not only is the X chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMX technology, it doubles as a massage chair and can either cool or warm your back. Can your office chair do that? I don't think so. So now is the perfect time to purchase an X chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's X chair's holiday gift to you. Save $100 off your X chair just by purchasing it at xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair. Commentary.com, xchair is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com and save xchaircommentary.com. And let's not stop there because I also want to talk to you about, excuse me, about Aura. Because the way you use the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade, but security tools have mostly stayed the same. You know this, right? You know that it provides digital security protection to keep your online finances, personal information, and tech safe from online threats. You know about the online threats. It's those hackers. They can pick up on your signal. 
at a at a rest stop at a hotel lobby. Uh, uh, a good hacker with a thousand dollars worth of you know technology can steal everything you have and sell it on the dark web, and uh, you know you're you're totally screwed. So uh, every ten seconds, somebody becomes a victim of fraud or identity theft. What's worse, twenty three percent of those people don't get their money back after the attack. If you think it could never happen to you. You could be their next target and Aura can help. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast, like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online or someone tries to open a bank account in your name and it's easy to set up. All plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds and experienced US-based customer support that's got your back. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners up to 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com slash commentary. Go to Aura.com slash commentary to get complete protection and savings up to 40%. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash commentary. Um, so uh, Trump did something interesting yesterday in this uh, uh, tour he's doing with Bill O'Reilly. Uh, it only took him until uh, December of 2021 to do this. He said... I'm very proud of the fact that we, uh, you know, we made these three vaccines. Everybody should take them. Everybody should get boosted. I got boosted. Don't let them take credit for it. Be proud, meaning of people in his movement. Be proud that you were part of something that did something so good. And uh, I'm, and um, you, you heard it, and it was like, why hasn't he been saying this? Why did it take till now? Um, and in fact, he got booed. He got booed by the by the crowd. I think it was in Dallas or Houston. I'm not sure where it was. And he was like, ah, it's just a few of you guys who are booing. Like, everybody be proud. Take ownership of the fact that you were part of a movement that got these vaccines made. And it, it, it I think it's a, a reminder that no matter how skilled he is at, you know, keeping his base, at all it's, you know, controlling the party and using his Machiavellian techniques of fear and terror to do so, um, that um, you look at this and you think, well, what if you've been saying this since February? What if you've been saying this since February? How many people didn't get vaxxed or boosted because they thought that it was part and parcel of the stolen election and the, you know, and the, the feds being monsters and all of that, uh, that didn't do this and then got sick from it? Anybody have any thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I, the thing is, he talked it up before he lost the election. Right. He was he was boasting, you know, like crazy bef before it actually came out because the vaccine was approved like, you know, days after he lost. Um, then his attention completely shifted. I mean, what I wondered when I saw this yesterday was, has he not been saying this all along simply because um not out of any sort of strategy, but because he only talks about what he feels like talking about. And it just simply hadn't occurred to him to talk about it. And he was, he happened to have been asked the question yesterday. So he answered it. Or did someone say to him, listen, here's what you got to do. Uh, Biden is flailing on, on COVID. You now remind people that you were the one that got the vaccine and, you know, temper that with, as he did, the statement that if you don't want to get the vaccine, you shouldn't be forced to get it, which he said yesterday. But but, you know, reclaim your your role in, in getting the vaccine. It'll be good for you. And he and he finally came around to that. I don't know the answer. 
it would be hilarious if it was just that he hadn't been asked and had an opinion on this, but just hadn't had a chance to express it because his silence has been interpreted by the people who want to assume his movement as a disfavor towards the booster regimen. Um, Ron DeSantis, who is touted as, you know, this really, you know, very uh, astute governor who's willing to buck trends and who will make the right allies when he needs to across the aisle, even if necessary, and and really, you know, frustrates the left. He's just a, you know, all pure, pure um, uh, astute governance and doesn't care where the, where the chips fall. He, he put on this really pusillanimous display when he was asked, whether he got boost, boosted or not, just wouldn't wouldn't say one way or the other, which suggests he did, obviously, but didn't want to say it because for fear of what the base might do or what the base might say, um, which is, you know, just is sort of indicative that perhaps a lot of people who have put their faith in this guy as the person to assume the mantle of Trumpism, a more a, a, a better Trumpism, a smarter Trumpism, that he's just as, as captive to this to this completely irrational movement as anybody is. And the only person who's willing to bucket is Donald Trump himself. I just thought it's a fascinating moment and we'll have to watch more. Remember, Trump himself refused to be photographed getting the vaccine when he got the vaccine. I mean, so, you know, DeSantis follows in a noble tradition of Trump also running down the vaccine, even though he was the guy who got the vaccine done. He did not want to be seen taking the vaccine because I'm sure he believed a would make him look weak because he's crazy and B, that he wanted to hold, he wanted to keep his powder dry with the anti-vax community that to be, let, let's let just be, you know, was part of that pro, proletarian base that he understood so brilliantly in the years between 2010 and 2016 and that where he built his, the foundation of this, you know, most successful presidential campaign in American history. If you go from, if you consider fact that he went from zero nothing to you know becoming president in 16 or 17 months or what it was okay we got to stop here we'll get back tomorrow for abe christina no i'm john pot keep the candle burning